Mm, we don't do. use scripts at all. Well, Drew has notes. Yep. How's it scripted? I'm serious, dude. This beard is <laughs> feeling really cool on this microphone. Just saying. <laughs> Books matter, and they shape our thinking and uh, how we act. Today, uh, we are going to be discussing some books that have been very influential uh, for me and Drew and Ryan. So today, um, kind of a start of the new year, and I get this question a lot. I don't know if you guys, yeah, I'm, no, I'm sure you get it too. What are you reading? And hey, uh, should I read that? And so that's what we want to do today is we want to sit down and just talk about some books that we've read at the end of a year. There's usually like uh, the books that have been written in the last year that have been uh, influential to us. Yeah. Some of the guys that Top I follow 10 on. Lists. Yeah, yeah. Some of the guys that I follow on to Trevin Wax always has a great list of things. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he's, and they're not just limited to the publisher he works for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's really helpful. So Andrew Wilson, if he recommends a book, I usually mm-hmm. try to chase it down. Trevin Wax, if he recommends a book, Jared Wilson, if he recommends a book, I usually try to chase it down. Um, I even had a couple people um, at the end of last year say, hey, listen, for Christmas, some, uh, my wife wants to know what to get me. I'd like to get some books. Can you give me a list of a few books that might be really good? I don't know if, I don't know if, uh, if Bill Chavez got those books, but I'll find out if he did. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I thought it would be really good for us to come into the studio and just talk about some books that have been influential to us and either giving them as a recommendation and with a little bit of an explanation in terms of the why and the how. So, uh, Ryan, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of roundtable this. I got three books in front of me. Uh, Drew, it looks like you got two. Two. Is that right? Ryan, you've got two. So um, let's just kind of go around. Ryan, talk about just grab a book, one of these ones that have been influential, and I'll ask you a couple of questions about it. So why don't you begin by giving us a uh, title and a uh, little bit of a description. Okay. So this is Rediscovering the Church Fathers, and then the subtitle is Who They Were and How They Shaped the Church by a guy named Michael Haken. Um, I actually bought this book several years ago um, uh, on a recommendation from a friend. And really what, the, what, what Haken's trying to get at is that um, the, the church fathers, so for, for some context, that would be a lot of the, the early church theologians say between um, 100 AD to about 500, 600 AD. So you can kind of think post-New Testament, pre-Islam. Those are the church fathers. And then there, there are other categories for like medieval theologians. But Haken's thesis is that um, by and large, particularly in the Protestant church, um, the church fathers have been relegated to um, sort of theological antiques that we've, mm-hmm. we've moved beyond what they have to offer mm-hmm. and, and kind of the, the, the wealth of information that they produced has, is no longer being cherished by the church. And so he makes a case that Actually, there's some really important reasons to familiarize ourselves with the teachings of the Church Fathers. And this book, I think he makes the case very well. Um, he kind of tells you why, and then he gives readings from six or seven of them. And uh, it, it convinced me. And for the last couple of years, and I, even in 2019, I came back to this book a lot as a way of um, engaging in theology outside of like a systematic way. You know, I teach school of theology, kind of manage that part of our ministries. And so I get a lot of the 
well, here's what, everything we believe about salvation, and yeah. here's everything we believe about the Trinity, and here's everything we believe about the Bible. But there's just something about going back and reading um, what these men and women were doing, because there were actually a couple of mothers. There weren't a whole lot, but mostly men, a few women. What they were doing real time, the first time the church had to deal with a lot of these yeah. really important mm. questions. Yeah. And so it's been a really valuable kind of launching pad for me to go and study a lot more patristic theology. I remember a number of years ago, I would be listening to guys that were bursting on the scene. I remember Erwin McManus. I remember Matt Chandler. And, you know, they, I don't, I don't think they were, they, no, they weren't plagiarizing. But their ideas that they were beginning to espouse were actually originally espoused in the 1300s by, or originally espoused by a church father. And, and they're just well-read mm -hmm. men. Yeah. And it's really interesting how you, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And that's a little bit of what uh, books like that bring back to the table. It's we're not the first ones to think about this. And so they give us a bit of a, a fresh approach to things that are happening right now. And it seems like they're fresh. Yeah. But when you stop and recognize, oh, no, the church has wrestled with things like this in the past. And we can learn from them in order to understand kind yeah. of what's going on. A good example of where like a, a contemporary problem has already long been dealt with and we just forgot about it is the somewhat 20th century problem of the uh, the Christ of faith versus the Jesus of history. So um, you, you get this a lot in kind of Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code kind of stuff where the church invented a lot of this stuff and even really, really um, at times liberal scholarship that says that there's there's something ab to, ab about the idea of Jesus to believe in, but it's really not that connected to the actual guy that walked mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with it from a different perspective, but that's that's what the Council of Nicaea was dealing <laughs> with. Like <laughs> who they, is Jesus? Who what is, is his Jesus? nature? What and is they, his, and yep, they yep. definitively like recognize that the Bible teaches and history bears out, and all the eyewitnesses confess that he was both God and man in one per like they, they say he had two natures in somehow in one person and what they were having to fight against is those who said nah he's not really like physical that that really wasn't a thing there's just this this spiritual element mystical element and then over now in our context we're just looking at it from the other side yeah get rid of that spiritual nonsense he's just a guy he's like a like a Jewish mystic mm -hmm. and yeah, we could learn a lot from what, say, Athanasius was having to deal with and, and a lot of these other guys at the Council of Nicaea, even Chalcedon. They're doing some of this stuff in the three and four hundreds. So, um, and, and it's fine because I, I think it's even good for whether anyone that listens to this picks up any of these books and reads it. I think it's even good for them to know the things that we we enjoy because we're teaching. Yeah. And so there's some value in that. But so I want to ask this question each time as we kind of go around. Um, in terms of our listening audience, who, who would you recommend this to? Is it like a, a if you what, yeah. I recommend this book. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add one other thing go, to this, go just right kind of an extra question. So I'm at, for me, this was not this hard to figure out because I read like eight books in 2019. So <laughs> narrowing that down to two or three, not crazy hard to do. And, um, and five of those eight were Obadiah. <laughs> so go to your Bibles, find out how, how big Obadiah is. The sixth is. was Oh, the Places You Will Go by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Almost made the cut for one of my you favorites. Know what? I, I don't even, what's weird is I don't even teach. You actually do read. So, I, do, I mean, yeah. you may not. But you, I, I think you feel bad. I, okay, yeah. this is a bit of a side issue, but okay. I'm going to say it right now. You read a ton, right? Because you do. We, we have conversations, yeah. and you're like, I yeah. was reading this. I was reading yeah. this. They may not just be books. Yeah. Okay? So you, you actually do read a lot. And the second thing is, I bet you you are so 
wanting to be honest that if you don't read from the book from the beginning to that is, the end, oh, that is so it oh, yeah. does not count. Oh, yeah. that is so true. Drew is yeah. the guy. Every word guy? Every word. Justin Ebert's an every word guy. Okay. I don't get this it. This is why Justin's not allowed to be in the podcast with us. So, Steve, this is the problem. Okay? Just for the record, everybody, this is the problem. Is like Drew doesn't – he's the guy that you can't count that as a country unless you were there over a weekend and you visited the reigning monarch. <laughs> Really? Like, just because I didn't meet, meet the Queen of Denmark, uh, the fact that I stayed there for two days doesn't count as an official visit. Drew's like, no. And if you don't read every letter of a book, I mean, so I'm a little more, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little more fluid. Yeah. You are too? Oh, I skim like nobody's business. I, yeah. I do not waste time reading something I already know. I just don't. I don't even have to read the words to read a book. I think that's what Ryan just said. <laughs> no, Ryan read a million books last year. <laughs> you want to know? I'll, I'll tell you guys how I read. Uh, I, this is my thing. I read. Okay, cover. Drew, hold on to your point because I want to get back yep, to your point. Yep. But go ahead. I read all this stuff to get a gist of the book. I read the table of contents. I always read the preface and any epilogues, which a lot of people skip that stuff. I like that kind of stuff. And then I will read the first several paragraphs of every chapter, skip to the end of the chapter, read the last several paragraphs, and if there's nothing new in there, I'm not going to read anything Move in between. On. Holy cow. Okay, here's how I read. <laughs> I'll read the back of the book, the cover, and then I'll read the preface, and I'll read all the words in between those. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes twice. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't skim. I, I do. I mean, grad school kind of taught me that there is a way of reading that's yeah. not every word, and making sure that I understand exactly what's happening all the way through. So I'm, I'm probably a little bit in between. But in terms of like claiming to read a book, I mean, if I feel like I understand the book, that's that's really a, a, a huge, huge, huge part of it. So yeah, yeah. anyway, I, I think it's good for you to realize yes. Drew actually does read a lot, except he's only read two books in the history of his life. <laughs> that, that I count. That, it counts, um, that he counts as official. So, uh, so here's my question. I mean, I, I do all, all joking aside. I know you, you read a lot of books. And so why, someone might be wondering, uh, I'm yeah. kind of wondering yeah, a little bit, yeah, why yeah. do you go, man, but if I've got to talk about anything, yeah. it's rediscovering <laughs> the church fathers. Yeah. And, and I, I can even have, uh, I've grown in my appreciation for church history. I'm a history kind of guy, so I can kind of like that. But even I go, man, surely there's other. So tell me, yeah. like, why, why is like, man, this book is something that was big for me and that's it's a, worth reading. That's a good question. Um, this book is important to me because, A, I'm, I'm, I'm a history guy too, um, but as a, as a reader, this opened up an entire new library for me. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many wonderful things. And, and the, the beauty is, I, I, I don't even remember the names of them now, but there are several publishers that are taking um, the patristic texts, uh, say Augusta and Athanasius and you know, on and on, and they're retranslating them into an even newer, like more current version of English. And so they're becoming more and more accessible to people like me who don't read Latin yeah. or, no. you know. So this this just kind of unlocked a new theological world to me and a what I consider part of my, my church history, my tradition. And so um, the reason that of all the books that I, I dealt with last year that I picked this up is because um, unlike this one, which I'll talk to in a little bit, I think this one is accessible to just about anybody. I don't think it's a very complicated read at all. It's not that long. And uh, and it's just, it's so, it's such a kind of a foundational book to get you into a whole new world that you might not otherwise engage. And so that's what it did for me. 
So it could even, you, you don't have to be studying catechesis and catechism, two words no. you've been using a lot around here, which is just kind of the formal instruction of, no. the, of the Christian life or, you know, in the Christian life and Christian doctrine and Christian behaviors. Um, you don't have to be that in order to enjoy that book. No. And I'll, I'll get quickly rattle off a, a handful of the reasons why he says we ought to read the church fathers. And he, again, he convinced me. He said, one, when we study the fathers, like any historical study, it liberates us from the present, which you're probably going to talk about, under, knowing some of these books you're going yeah, to talk yeah, about. Yeah. That he, he says we are, we are inevitably captured by our current culture and that shapes so much of how we see things. And so he says, going back to a pre-modern, pre-enlightenment, pre-reformation way of looking at scripture just helps us see things afresh, even if we don't have to take everything they say, sure. you know, sure. lock, stock, and barrel. Second, it kind of helps us. They, they're always dealing with like devotional things. Like what does it look like to have a robust prayer life? They, they talk about a lot of things that we, we, care about. we do care about these things. Yep. So it's yep. not just how do you punch heretics, you know? So although they deal with that, um, they they really unlock some of the New Testament ideas because some of these guys, especially in the terms of like the Didache or the Epistle to Diognetus, both of which we don't know the authors to those, those are really really close to New Testament times in terms of culture and location, and so they really help us see something that we wouldn't otherwise see. Um, he says they often are victims of bad history and bad press, and we should know what he what they're talking about and before we just say ah that's just old stuff that you know a lot of times the church fathers are viewed as just really old roman catholics and it's really not true and they're they're our our history and they are okay hey jill order me a copy of <laughs> rediscovering the church fathers who they were and how they shaped the church by michael haken and now we'll know if she <laughs> so very good drew what do you got um the of those two yeah which one do you are, are you was the most influential on yeah. on you most influential um was this when people are big and god is small by edward mm -hmm. welch mm -hmm. um uh, the, I guess the, the subtitle that kind of helps explain a little bit, Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and this was a big one for me just because um, that's, that, I mean, that those people who know me know that, that that idea, what I would say, you know, call like people-pleasing or the desire to be liked or impressed, that, which he sums up all with that phrase, the fear of man. Uh, really runs core to me, uh, to who I am in a lot of ways, my, my personality. I think, you know, all of us have certain propensities towards certain sins. We're just drawn towards certain mm -hmm. things. And this is mm -hmm. one, I mean, I can, I can go back as far as I can in my memory to know that it just become, it's natural for me to want to please. And sometimes that's okay. And a lot of times that, that causes problems for me. And so, um, I had heard about this song or this book, I think I think Justin Eber was the first person who I heard mention it four or five years ago, and so Seriously? I just kind of yeah. So I know I know I found out later you liked it. Sorry, man. Well, uh, yeah, no, I fell in love with that book when I was listening to somebody else speak. You know, you talked about an, a world opening up. When anybody that I'm listening to, so if you're listening to a podcast and somebody just mentions a book, I usually yeah. write it down. That one, J.K. J.K. Beals, you are what you worship. Okay. You become what you worship, okay. and then unceasing worship. We were doing a series, and and that book and those other two books were the ones that were recommended. I bought all three, read all three, and and they were all had that kind of that same idea, this idolatry issue, yes, and how it kind of affects us. And this yes. this one was one of those. So so his, I mean, you know, the the big kind of. Uh, 
DT dominant thought of his book is basically um, we overcome the fear of man by growing in the fear of God. Mm, that's good. Uh, and, and we gain a greater fear of God by understanding who God is, by seeing him more clearly. And so that's just been, I mean, that's uh, really, really just helpful for me, that perspective, that paradigm. And I read through it. Not only did I read through this, but I've actually, I've, been, I've gone back from, you know, every few weeks I go back and I just scan back over a chapter and I'm writing down yeah. because it was one of those yep. books yep. that I finished <laughs> and I just went, I cannot let the truths that have been shared with me in this book, I can't let those truths go. I can't let those uh, leave me without without hammering them down a little bit further into my mind. And so, um, really good. You will read it. So who was it for? Yeah. I, I mean, you I'd, re- Who do you recommend it to? I'd, anyone? I'd, I'd recommend this one for anyone. Okay. I'd recommend this one for anyone. Uh, I both, would too. Both of mine, I think, yeah. Um, and, and you will read and... And you will read a few chapters in and start to go, is this gonna is this gonna apply to me? And 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 then you'll realize how how much it does. I, it was like chapter four or five things, just everything kind of opened up and 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 started shifting the way I was seeing things. And then he gets into a lot of like ch- several chapters in the middle of the book are just going through the scriptures and talking about how God is seen as big and majestic in say the Pentateuch hmm. and how God is seen as big and majestic in uh, the, the, the poetry, the Psalms, and then in the prophets. And there are times you read it and I want to just move past going, okay, I know you're just quoting Bible verses, mm-hmm. which is great, but I can just, I have the Bible. I yeah, can do that. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And then I realized partway through that he really does mean what he says. He really does believe what he says, <laughs> that what you need is not more practical tips yeah. on becoming more confident in yourself or um, not being so codependent. What you need is a bigger picture of God. He wow. is he is bound and determined to give you that. Um and then, and then at one point, man, he does this thing, he, this shifting thing where he says that the common, the common way that human beings have been described for years and years, and even by Christians, is that we are these like leaky love vessels or whatever that, mm. that yeah. we're being yep, yep, poured yep, into. Yep, yep, yep. And, and the problem is if you're not poured into with the right thing by God and his love, um, then you're going, to, you're going to run low and it's going to cause all these problems and you'll try to fill that up with human's love and that will be your problem or you'll fill it up with sinful pleasures or whatever. And and, and his whole thing is like that whole perspective is wrong, that that whole idea that our existence is one of um, that we find our purpose when we find deeper love and um, self-fulfillment and all those things, rather that we find our, our, our deepest purposes met, that our, our identity is defined by being those who love who love God and who love people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the other thing he says is the, the less I fear man, the more I can love man. The less I fear yeah, people, yeah, yeah. the more I can yeah, love yeah, yeah. them. And I, man, so just really, really, really helpful for me. So no, yeah, I was looking good. at the table that's of good. contents, um, which by my standards means I'm done with the third you're, book. You're like halfway through, yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. I like that he, before he gets into this is what it looks like to have a, a really good fear for of God, I, I like that he starts with, here's some of the reasons that you're probably having a hard time with this yeah. or fearing man in a way that that distracts from a fear of God. And I I really, I mean, he takes 94 pages to, to to like really set it up. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like, I like that, you know, yeah, it's, I I like that one in comparison to GK Beale's book. Um, you know, one, one, I think one's a little more stout per se, but both of them just keep coming back to this, uh, what you just described at the very end that 
this this idea of fearing the Lord allows us to have the appropriate love and care and concern mm-hmm. and connections. We we are we are stronger when we know God in our human relationships. Yep. We don't disconnect. That's what you keep hearing. You know, you're so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. And and in actuality, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. It is our understanding of the eternal. It is our understanding of the nature of God that allows me to love and to even be vulnerable yeah. in our in our human relationships. Yes. So I, 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 think, I, I loved that part of that book. I think through those, how often does that, his, his statement is true, that my fear of people keeps me from loving them. And it's so often because it keeps me from like speaking difficult truth yep. to people who yep. need that. Yep. Uh, it keeps me from opening, as you say, opening myself up yep. and being vulnerable um, so that we can have real relationship. It keeps me from sharing the gospel. It keeps me from there. All these things that when I need a person to to give me self-worth, when I need their approval, um, I don't have the ability to um, to really love them as they ought to be loved. So, um, I, I'm going to ask you this question because it just kind of fits with what you said that book, you know, was going to do. Mm-hmm. Have Have you changed because of the book? And I'm not talking about, yeah, you know, but yeah. has it has it changed you? I I think slash hope so. Here's here's what I think I would say. I'm at the front end. This has become a this has become something that is at the front of my mind way okay. more often and, and is one of my it's one of my big kind of I don't know I haven't written them as resolutions yet but my desires or my big prayers for 2020 is fear God more uh, fear man less and and actually I, I can say I I have seen that start to happen in me that I am um, that I am growing in my fear of God I'm trying to take note as I read the scriptures when his majesty is described when words like terror are used to, to describe him <laughs> um, those kinds of things and to, to take that in and to and to hold that in my mind and heart and 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 I'm trying to live uh, in a way that is less fearful of man and and less needy of their approval in those things so no that's good um the first one i'm going to do is one i just actually finished recently um it's uh titled the church in exile living in hope after christendom it's by lee beach and it's interesting because it's a, a book i just i just finished a week at school in pittsburgh pennsylvania and it was one of our textbooks but i had bought it a few years ago and i had opened it up and kind of started it because i'm, I'm fascinated there's a lot of stuff um, I, I don't know if you're seeing it. I don't know how often you're at Mardell's or you're just kind of checking out Christian books wherever you might be looking at those. The concept of the the concept of the exile and what it means to understand the exile. So that period in Israel's history when God has judged them and then the Babylonians or the Assyrians and the Babylonians come and they lose the land. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's and they're sent as exiles out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the period. And so it's called the exile, and 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 there's a lot of writers right now that are writing books on the exile, and what they're saying is that's kind of what we're going through right mm-hmm. now, and so this book kind of deals with that. It basically says there are there is a paradigm that would help us to understand the world in which we live, which is a little bit from the song "This World Is Not My Home." I'm just mm-hmm. passing through, so a disconnect that's happening. So as they talk about the 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 bringing of the end of the age of the Christian age, we are now living in post-Christian times, not just post-modern, but post-Christian times where Christianity no longer shapes or is the major player. 
Uh, he, he, he begins, he's Canadian actually, um, uh, from McMaster University uh, in, I, th I think he says Hamilton, Ontario is where he says it is. I thought it was somewhere else. But anyway, McMaster University in Canada. And he describes the difference between Canada celebrating their 100 year anniversary in, in 1967 and starting with prayer and thanking God for his providence mm -hmm. to what happened in a post 9 or a, a, right after 9-11 and how the country came together to mourn what happened. And all of a sudden, there's no prayers. There's no direct recognition of God. They're very generic. And he says, wow, in a very short period of time, things have radically shifted. And so the book basically recognizes that shift and then says, listen, so what do we do? And he goes back and he, he lists, and I, I'm going to kind of skip one of his examples because I think it's a little complicated. But he goes back and says, I think we can learn a lot from Daniel. I think we can learn a lot from Esther. And I think we can learn a lot from the New Testament, from First Peter, but even we can learn a lot in terms of how Jesus and the early, um, that first temple, what is known as Second Temple Judaism, that time around when Jesus lived, how they were kind of on the outside, like the Romans were the ones in control, and what was it like? And I really loved how using those examples, he talked about the kind of the, some of the repeated themes that he stressed was in those books you see like a dedication to holiness. You see like a growing of, of, of trust in, in, in terms of who God is. Um, you really, you really kind of recognize that these people have like a hope yeah. <laughs> that is not based in, upon cultural situations. And, you know, especially in an election year, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting how we're going to see people, Christian people, lose their minds mm -hmm if the right political establishment isn't either reinforced or changed. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that is just unchristian. Mm -hmm. And so I really loved the challenge of saying, hey, if you wanna know how some books that, that, that are um, probably more, more helpful in their under giving us a, a, like a perspective, right? Like a paradigm to look at our lives. He says, you go back and look at Esther and look at Daniel and look at, look at First Peter and kind of see mm. kind of where we're at. Is that, uh a little on the academic side, or is it kind of popular level? Um, I, I mean, I would say it's popular level-ish. You you probably have to work through a couple of things. He's he's a little liberal in his theology, and so you know one of the examples he has is the book of Jonah, and he says you know this book was written post-exilic, which actually we wouldn't say that, um, and so that's that's the part that's kind of a little little interesting. Um, I critiqued it in my class actually, because um, yeah, this is a little bit off of, of, of a rabbit trail. He, I don't know how much he really believes those are like real stories. He sees yeah. some of those stories as more like like parables or, or, or fables, yeah, more of a fable, of but still really helpful. Yeah, and I really except for the Jesus and the first, so Jesus first Peter, he believes those are yeah. those are literal. But some of the Old Testament stuff, he's a little more liberal and kind of can can lean towards a fable approach to the text. Mm. And one of the things I critiqued in in this in my in one of my papers was it's interesting how can you talk about real hope and a real ability to trust God in a story, mm -hmm. right? Like that you, is, yeah, and even, even more than a story. Yeah. So even in terms of like the parables of Jesus, you might say, well, what about the parables? Yeah, but the parables are tied back to like a reality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like if Jesus never made a way for forgiveness, then the father waiting for the prodigal to come home doesn't mean anything, Yeah. right? So if there's not a God actually forgiving people in, in real time, and it's just... It's just parable or just fable. So I, I critiqued it in that way. So in that sense, it, it might be a little too much for, for, for maybe some people. But for those of you that really enjoy 
thinking in big pictures and abstract terms and those of you that are maybe frustrated by the world in which we live currently and are are maybe tempted to lose hope and you're willing to kind of work through some things to give a whole new way of looking at things um i, I think it could be pretty good it's cool so it's cool. ryan what do you got number two dosis um this that, one i won't is that two in spanish dosis it's that's i think it's two but plural somehow yep that's English plural of a Spanish word is actually what that is there. Wow. It's yep. about the best you've ever done. See, you know, it's, Steve, it's amazing how I have this almost like a, it's almost like a supernatural ability when I get in the studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay, so go ahead. Um, this one I had to include um, because this this is if I if I had to like rank the books that have messed with me, this would be like positions one through five. <laughs> Huh. Um, I I've actually bought this book in 2018 um, when Drew and Scott nearly ruined my life by saying we have no on ramps at this church. Um, and if you want like the context for that, they were they were critiquing our I think rightly our um, lack of really coordinated and, t- and intentional ability to to bring in unbelievers to new believers into kind of a long process of Christian maturity. Instead, we have a lot of really deep stuff and a lot of kind of stuff that assumes a lot. And it could just be a frustrating place for mm-hmm. a, a newcomer or be a new believer to, to get up to speed and to, to be involved and connected to the community and to, to grow. So I bought this book because that, that, that concern haunted me. And then this year in my class, it was a sign, so I, I read it again, and basically, I guess I should say what the book is, Grounded in the Gospel, the subtitle is Building Believers the Old-Fashioned Way. It's got two authors. One is J.I. Packer. Most people have probably heard of him. Um, still alive, kicking somehow, um, but probably one of the most famous evangelical theologians of the 20th century, yep. um, and then a guy named Gary Parrott. And this book is all about how to build on-ramps. And they, they, if so, the reason I wanted to, to kind of give this is not necessarily as a recommended read. It, it, it's short. I actually don't think that they use any real technical language, but it's got a very narrow scope in terms of it is aimed between the eyes of those who kind of um, oversee teaching ministries mm. and churches. Mm. And so this is not necessarily um, a recommendation as much as information. Um, when you, over the next... I don't know, foreseeable future in my mind. The ideas in this book that we need to revisit a kind of historical approach to integrating um, new believers into the life of the mm-hmm. church and that there are tried and true methods that the church has done since the New Testament to, to kind of do this. Um, it's, it's really going to kind of shape how I do ministry for a while. It's going to be something I'm going to obsess over. It's going to be something I'm going to ask the staff and elders to obsess with me over. And so, um, and I think this book prepared me for this. Mm. That's another reason that um, not only did this open up primary sources, such as like Augustine's Confessions, which is just a really, really old book. um, It opened up a world of literature for me that says, um, the church has not always had to reinvent things. There are some things that have just always been there. And so... Hmm. This That's book. a common theme for the two books that you've mentioned. Yeah, I mean, and, and so. those those ideas have kind of sent me on this 
this world of like I have St. Augustine's prayer book here and I find that his prayers are very useful. Um, uh, just like I, I wouldn't put it on par with praying the Psalms, but I would say that he has some stuff in here that I wouldn't have otherwise thought to pray for. Yeah. I think the yeah. same thing. And I know Drew appreciates this book too. Yes. The Valley of Vision is a book of Puritan prayers. Yeah. And I, it's just both resources like these can put a, a biblical language on your prayer life that is not like I don't think that this causes me to pray in an Augustinian way sure. as much as a just a richer way that I couldn't have have appreciated beforehand and truth be told spend some time with this and then I don't really need it anymore and I can I can now pray in like a fresh way for me um, might not be for everyone probably isn't for everyone but you know, it's interesting. You, you, you've talked about, you know, theme for you would be going back and rediscovering and um, and, and, and mining these treasures that others uh, in our in our Christian heritage have been mining for a long time and yeah. how much it feeds us as, as Christians. And I, I don't want to get into the to the issue of what happened, but it it really helps us when I think about books that we could recommend, um, you know, in, in the last probably 10 years or so. There have been some books that have come out that almost every Christian I know has read, and they were like, wow, that totally changed my life. And I think about, and, and by the way, I read them, and, I, and they, they affected me. David Platt's Radical. Um, Crazy Francis, love. Francis Chan's Crazy Love. Like, so these are books, and they, they come out with these bold statements and these, you know, these grandiose ideas. And I'm not against reading them. I, I, actually, I read both of those books. Both of them I thoroughly enjoyed when I was reading them. But recently, Francis Chan made some statements. <laughs> And I don't want to get into like what the statements were made, but but what was interesting was he made this statement, which is the part that kind of blew my mind, was he said, I recently found out that the church has believed, and he starts talking about stuff that I thought everybody knew. And it really it really kind of taught me, and again, not, this is the nothing... The historical church. Yes, the historical about. church. But here, here's my point. It really helped me realize that, um, and I don't care who it is, so this isn't just a Francis Chan problem. That when any of us speak today, <laughs> um, we we don't have or we might not have the depth necessary to 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 really speak. Like he was describing, like man, did you know that the church for fifteen hundred years believed that in the time of communion that we were eating the body and the blood, the literal the body and the blood of Christ? He said, I just found this out. And he's intelligent. Like, I'm not going, yeah. like, Francis, why are you so... He's not. He is an intelligent person. It just shows us that if we're if we're only reading that level of books yeah. and yeah. we're never going beyond it, if we're never going behind that, we really are trapped. And that can be a really, really dangerous thing. So what so. would what is your proposed... Like, if someone's saying, okay, well, I don't want that to be true of me, but I don't know where to start, what would you say? Um, like go back and, and look at segments in church history like you did here. Um, have you read anybody f from the patristic period? Have you read anybody from the Middle Ages? Have you read anybody from the time of the of the Reformation? Have you read anybody from, from the, the Puritans and the whatever? I mean, the more I'm, I'm learning more recently about reading um, plans for ministry practice in the 1600s. And it's like I'm reading a very helpful playbook for, for Stillwater, Oklahoma in 2020. I got that when I read um, a series of, they're called the Catechetical Lectures by Cyril of Jerusalem from the <laughs> 400s. And he what he believes about baptism, he could be a dyed-in-the-wool Christian church person. Yeah. 
And he's saying, these are the things we need to teach people. We've recently baptized. Mm. I'm like, so man, you are Alexander Campbell. <laughs> you know? It's beautiful. You know what I mean? So that's the part that I love is that the other books that you could read are Augustine's Confessions. or it, they don't. The book does not have to be written in the last 20 minutes mm-hmm. to be good. <laughs> in fact, um, I don't even remember where I picked this up, but... Uh, one of the one of the justifications for reading old books is the reason that we still have them is because they have stood the test That's of time and currently written books although they can be helpful they haven't had the time to be thoroughly critiqued and yep. then to be ignored by history yep. and so it doesn't mean that we don't do anything with these but yep. it does mean something that augustine's confessions is still being translated afresh and printed over and over there's something important about that book I heard Elizabeth Bruning, who is a reporter for the Washington Post, she said, I'm just amazed at the amount of anger that people still have against Augustine. A North African monk from the late 300s, early 400s, she says, you've got to be really good (laughs) for people to hate you two you know or whatever 1700 years later like you've got to be pretty stinking good francis chan most likely will literally no one will know him should the lord tarry uh, 1600 years from now no one will know who i am um but augustine i bet it will still be being talked about and praise to the god of augustine drew your last book what do you got um yeah briefly my uh, this other one is humble roots by hannah anderson um, and I kind of realized as I grabbed my two to, to come here, like mine are actually common, like have a have kind of a similar theme to it. Um, hers old subtitle is how humility grounds and nourishes your soul. Um, and uh, and so actually I, she actually in the intro said this really well, uh, it says the goal of this book is to understand how pride manifests itself in anxiety and restlessness and mm-hmm. how humility frees us from the cycle of stress, performance and competition. Um, and so her whole thing is that uh, this world we live in, in which it seems like this this go go mentality and yeah. constant everyone struggling with anxiety and depression and restlessness and am I doing the right thing and am I doing it well enough? Um, she says at the at the root of all of that is pride, um, and and that the answer to all of that is not self help techniques, um, and the answer to that is not more me time. And the answer to that is is not um, being more comfortable with who I am, those kinds of things, but humility and a trust in in God. Um, What's the name of her other book? Uh, made, made to for be more. Made, made for, for more. more. That's yeah. what it is. And made I haven't actually more. read that one. I've read Made yeah. for More. Yeah. But I've not. I, I, don't, I did not even know of this one. But this is you, you talked about end of the year book things. Andrew Wilson at the end of 2018 said this was like one of his favorite books, and that's where I got that. So I when I it read out. her, it's 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 an interesting book. Made for More is an interesting book. We you know we use it a lot. I think in our women's um, encounter and and, and ongoing mm-hmm. SOD. It's one of those books that that is is very helpful for women in terms of their identity and particularly the identity in Christ. I read it as a not woman and loved it. Like it spoke to me. So she's actually somebody when I hear her name, I'm like, okay, I might need to check that out. She's a she's a good writer. If you go, man, I'm not a great reader. I don't. She she is easy to follow. Um, it's but it's well written and she she just crafts things well and explains things well. It's it's really helpful. So. Hey Jill, get me um, "Humble Roots" by Hannah Anderson. Yes, see yes. It, see it. We'll see. Test it. number two. <laughs> test, test number two. So, um, um, and it's for anybody. Uh, for anybody. For anybody. So, huge. You, on is that. it is it a book? I mean, here's a, here's a good question. Have yeah. you recommended that to a lot of people? Uh, are, you that, are you that kind of guy? Hey, you got to read this. Yeah, you got to yeah. read this. Yeah, uh, I have 
I've recommended to this to people and yeah, I've recommended both these books actually to people in the last okay. year. I said, man, I, I really enjoy these. I really like these. So um, fascinating. I realized even as I was just sitting here thinking, I was like uh, this one, the when people are big, got a small has to do with thinking too highly of other people, more highly of them than I do of God. And this one has to do with <laughs> thinking of myself more highly than I do of God. And the answer in both of these really does come point to the same thing, a bigger picture of God and a, um, awesome. she says like, no wonder if I think that the, that everything rests on me. If I think that I have, mm-hmm. I got to trust myself to take care of myself. If I think that I am responsible for all these things, um, that's, a, that is pride, yeah. and B, no wonder I'm freaking out all the time because yeah, each yeah. of us knows deep down inside that I don't really have what it takes, um, that human limitations in me keep me from finding the security and the rest and the fulfillment that I've been looking for. And so, See, and what happens is we don't see that. Matt Chandler said in a sermon a while back, that the end of a kind of the end of an age or the end of a way of looking at things is when all the books that are being written are just about techniques and self yeah. and, and, and and kind of like well basically techniques tips and techniques yeah because yeah, they've run out of th- real things to talk about yeah and I think a lot of the self help stuff in the Christian context is is broken like that yeah you know what I'm saying yeah so well the last book I want to recommend is actually a book called Good News for Anxious Christians. Uh, 10 Practical Things You Don't Have to Do. So I was, in a, I was in a class earlier this year, and all of a sudden I had, uh, in the middle of a conversation, I was talking about what it's like to be doing ministry today in the, in the Stillwater context, and I was describing the number of people that were anxious. And Dr. Gabig at the school just said to me, you know, I got, I got a book for you. And he came back from lunch, and he gave this me this book. And it, it's a little bit different than what I was talking about because I'm, I'm kind of almost dealing maybe a little bit more with what Hannah Anderson is describing there, the kind of anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a little bit different. But yet there is a, is a, is a common similarity. There is a, a, a common connecting point. So this book basically, uh, it, very popular level, I, th- I, would, I would almost recommend everybody get this because it has been so, so, so helpful to confront a lot of the lies that we believe. I'm just going to read a couple of the, a couple of the headings because I think they're, they're not meant to be shockers. It's not like he kind of means that. No, he really goes after these things. Um, why you don't have to hear God's voice in your heart or how, do, how, how God really speaks today. Like that's a big one. Everybody's looking yeah. for God's voice in their heart. And he basically says, A, that's not biblical, and B, it's not wise. Number two, why you don't have to believe your intuitions are the Holy Spirit or how the Spirit shapes our hearts. Hmm. So he's got chapters like that. Why you don't have to find God's will for your life, right? And you might go, okay, but in the end he's going to talk about, no, he's not. He's going to literally say how your faith should seek wisdom instead of an answer all the time. And he really stresses that instead of, why you don't have to be sure that you have the right motivations, or how love seeks the good. And so the book is not, it's not a shock book. It's not, it's, it's, I would even argue it's, it really should not be controversial. What he does is he says, listen, a lot of the anxiety that we have is because we are looking and searching in ourselves, which would be a yeah. similar thing that you're yeah. dealing with here. We're looking into ourselves instead of looking to God and looking to his word. Mm-hmm. And instead of learning a way to live, and a way, like Ryan, everything that you're talking about is discipling people, 
helping them know God and know how to respond to God, right? Mm-hmm. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Yeah. Um, you know, Drew, you're talking about these these major concerns that we have because we're really, really impressed with ourselves or others, and, and God kind of fades into the mm-hmm. into the uh, the background. And this book really kind of hits on on a lot of those things. I've I've gone through most of those chapters, and I, I do a Tuesday Bible study with with a, with, with with a number of men. And I kind of went after them, and you should have seen their eyes. At first, they're like, "Whoa, what are you talking about? Yeah. This, this is, this isn't, this doesn't even sound right." But by the time we're done walking through it, they're like, "Oh no, that actually does sound right." So I, I think the dangers that many of us have, and this is what this book confronts, is that we're we're seeking after things that seem to be spiritual and right and good, but in the end, they're based more on us and our understanding and our ability, which then creates an anxiety within us. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, the, dude, the chapter titles you read, and I haven't read it. We're actually every semester we take our uh, student leaders through a particular book, and this is the one we're doing this semester. Yep. So this spring, all of our our student leaders at the table are going through that, and I'm going to be going through it for the first time with them. But um, all the chapters you read sound counterintuitive. Yes, sound like yes, the yes, opposite yes, yes, yes. of what I've been told yes. since I was in first grade yes. or since I got out of the baptistry. Yes. You know what I mean? And so it'll be really fascinating to see the way he. But here's what's going to happen, though. I mean, that's that's totally true. And you know what I love about you, Drew, is when somebody loves something, you love to try to pop the hate bubble. It. Yeah, you love to. Try <laughs> I to love to hate which is good. I mean, it's yeah. a little bit of a contrarian approach, yeah. but you're just Ryan and I are un, are not very kind contrarians. <laughs> and you're just uh, look at this. You got the Mr. Rogers sweater going on. You got the Teen Wolf thing happening. So you've got you've got. I, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah. What I love is this is going to be a lot like this. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah like it's good, it's going to be a lot yeah. like that. Yeah. I I think there's there's going to be a little bit of overlap. Cool. And, and not in necessarily in terms of content, but approach. Mm-hmm. Because as much as it might be counterintuitive. When you're done reading what he says, you're like, no, that's what I've always thought. Yeah. Like, he didn't teach me anything. Yeah. He basically said, hey, when you meant find God's will for your life, I want you to just stop and think about what the Bible really teaches mm. about that. And he gives you Bible. He gives you, yeah. he gives you like, the, 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 the stuff you most of us already knew. And so we, we live these weird tensions, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And he basically says those tensions are what making us anxious, so why don't you let go of a a wrong way to speak and a wrong way to understand what God is doing in the world? And why don't we go back to the Bible and how the Bible speaks about it and how the Bible trains our hearts? And I have loved it personally. And the, the people that I've given it to that are always, man, I'm trying to figure out what God wants and I don't know what's going on. And I'm just, it's almost like they want angst. Yeah. He basically comes in and pops that bubble huh. and goes, listen, let's let's understand the way of God and the nature of God mm. and then trust him to lead us. So very cool. I'm excited to read it this year. I'm going to guess all of the effort went into the content, not the cover. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered where I recognized the name Philip Carey. He wrote a biography on Augustine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Okay. philosophy professor. OK, yeah. well. Listen, I hope you guys have been encouraged and challenged by these books. Um, stop by. If you're ever in the office area, stop by and and just kind of come in and take a look at our libraries. We would love, love, love to share what we're reading and what we're thinking. Um, I was really expecting, if you know, if Scott came in here today, that he would be, oh, well, I read the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> that was my favorite I lo- book. That was my favorite book. And then I recommend I read, it for everyone. I read St. <laughs> Paul's letter to the Romans, and it was my. So I recommend all but three chapters to everyone. Because <laughs> that, that's kind of what. So that's why Scott's not here. Yeah. Just kind of FYI. 
So anyway, we really hope this is a blessing. If you have to pick a book to read out of the ones that we talked about here today, the Bible is always the right one. It's true. Love you guys.